0: haven't yet. Yeah, we just finished uh, our show last night at uh at the uh, Yes, it's 2 weeks, yeah. So yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Um <laughs> I'm pretty tired, but I'm good. Um it went really well. So Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're going to go ahead and um Get started here. Um, good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's good to see all of you here. Um, and as we continue our um, exploration of Christianity and the arts, and today we get to talk about my favorite topic, um, which is the art of theater and um, why theater is important and actually the interesting relationship between theater and faith um, throughout the centuries. And um, uh, throughout uh, the development of theater, theater and religion have actually had a a big hand together, and they've actually um, developed with one another, um, which is really interesting. Um, But let me pray for us before we get started, um, so that um, the Lord will help me to say that which is pleasing to him. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for um, this opportunity to talk about art, and particularly theater, Father, and I thank you for the gifts of these things. I thank you that you are a storytelling God, and that you love story, and that you have given us stories so that we might know you better, and I just pray that this, uh, this time together would be honoring and glorifying to you. In your precious name I pray, amen. All right, so I titled my talk this morning on the importance of theater, all right? Um, I'm going to start with a with a story, and I, I might have told this story, so if I did, just, you know, nod and pretend like I haven't. Um, I actually got my start in the theater um, when I was about seven years old. Uh, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer, and so she said, I'm going to put you in acting classes. Well, <laughs> much to her chagrin, uh, it backfired, and... Um, she just wanted me to be able to talk in front of people really well. And uh, she wanted me, like I said, wanted me to be a lawyer. And so she figured, hey, we'll get you some practice talking in front of people. And uh, to this day, she's like, oh, I wish I'd never put you in those acting classes, right? Um, but obviously, the Lord knew what he was doing, and um, it, was a great, um, it was a great thing. And so I, I've, started, I've been in theater um, since I was seven, um, and, um, it's kind of been, uh, a beautiful opportunity to kind of see God work and see God do, um, amazing things through the power of story. Um, theater is often called the living art form, right? A lot of people talk to me and they're like, Zach, why do you invest so much time in theater? And, um, they're like, why don't you do film or television or something like that? And I'm like, well, th- those things are awesome. I love film and television, um, but uh, they're like, you know, people will say to me, but aren't you concerned about the the fact that the theater is dying, like it's, it's going away? And I said, no, I'm not concerned about that at all, actually. Um, and they're always very puzzled by this, and I say, because nothing can ever replace being in the room with the performer as they're performing, right? There's something ancient about that idea. There's something very tied to our beginnings about that, right? this idea that um, when you're with the performer in the room, it's a whole different experience, right? Film is great. Film can do all kinds of things that theater can't do, but the one thing that um, theater does that film can't do is bring you that personal interaction, that personal um, uh, connection as you're watching someone actually perform, right? Um, And so we often call it the living art form, right? Now, we've talked a lot about Oscar Wilde. He's an interesting fellow, all right? Um, And, you know, certainly has some interesting ideas about theater and art, but he he was very thoughtful about it, and he did think a lot about it. Um, And uh, he said, I regard the theater as the greatest of all art forms, the most immediate way in which a human being can share with another the sense of what it means to be a human being. And this actually goes much further back than Oscar Wilde. It goes all the way back to Aristotle, who said the whole reason that we do theater is so that people can have a vicarious experience in which they can watch other things happen to other people and learn from that experience, right? So, for example, Oedipus Rex, right? We can watch his um, downfall, and we can learn from that. And hopefully when we are faced with similar situations as he was, Right, we think back to that moment when we watched he, him choose pride um, over uh, selflessness, and think to ourselves, "Oh, okay, this is a similar situation. I need to pick the right thing." Right, um, and so it really is wonderful to watch another human being on stage, um, kind of acting something out in front of you. Right, it's also really weird too. Right, think about it, like. Um, If an alien came down from another planet, right, and they saw us all sitting in a dark room watching other people pretend to be other people, they would think that's pretty weird, right? Um, And it is, right? But there's something very beautiful about that. There's something very beautiful about having the experience, of having a story told right in front of you, right? And that connection that you get between actor and performer and the audience members is really lovely and really something that cannot be duplicated in other places, right? Um, We can come close, but we're not quite there, right? Um, Collaboration. Now, I know this has kind of been a buzzword for a long time, right, in lots of different sectors and areas, um, but theater really is a collaborative art form, right? So we see the actor on stage, right, and we see... Um, the work that they're doing, right, and that's kind of our gateway into the action, right? But um, for that one actor on stage, there's a multitude of people behind that actor, standing behind that actor to do what that actor does, right? Um, And so really, I like to think my background's in directing, and I love directing. I love directing primarily because I get to watch other people be really good at what they do. I'm not a lighting designer. Right? I understand the elements of light and I understand what it can do, but that's not, that's not my thing. right? I'm not a sound designer. right? Um, I'm not a costume designer, but I understand what those things can do and a really good story that they can tell. And so my love as a director is to watch other people kind of do their work. right? And that brings me a great, great deal of joy. Right? And that's another reason why I love educational theater so much is because you're watching young people Kind of do these things and kind of grow in these things. And, um, you know, it's really beautiful um, because it, does, it can't just, even a one person show, you have a one person show, you still need someone to turn the lights on, you still need someone to dress that person, right? Like, you still need all these things to make the act of theater kind of happen, right? Um, Peter Brook is a very famous um, theater director. And he wrote a a book called The Empty Space. And he kind of reduced theater down to its barest elements. And he said, really, all I need for an act of theater to happen is I need someone to be sitting and watching, and someone else walk across the stage, right? Now, granted, that's probably the most boring piece of theater that we could have, but what he's getting at, he's getting this idea that theater is really nothing more than an exchange between audience and actor, right? And so that's really important to me as I think through that. Now, thankfully, we have a lot of different ways to tell that story, right? And sometimes we have—I've t- I've directed in all different kinds of venues, right? In all different kinds of areas. And here's the cool thing: um, the storytelling methods are are very similar, right? They're very—they're um, very similar. Whether you're working at the Goodman in Chicago, you know, which is a Tony Award-winning theater. Or whether you're working, you know, at Southeast Raleigh Magnet High School, right? It does. There's. I've I've been everywhere and I've seen it all, right? And the st- the thing that's really beautiful about theater is the storytelling methods are similar, no matter where you're directing, right? Um, what changes is the amount of money you have to make that story. Um, not even believable, but just um, just enhanced, right? Um, I saw a production at Raleigh Little Theater many years ago when I was in college, because um, I'm almost 40. So I turned 40 in June, so I know, it's, it's, it's old. Um, so I know, right? Yeah, woo, yikes, it's dangerous. Um, but um, anyway, uh, and it was, it was the most beautiful production I've ever seen. Um, And it was simply, the characters obviously, it was, um, maybe I didn't tell you what it was, it was a production of The Crucible. And in The Crucible what they did was they dressed, obviously the characters were dressed in a lot of black, right, Um, and there were some white accents and things like that. Um, But they did this really cool thing where um, if you put black fabric under blue lighting, it actually glows red right, and so they would do all their transitions in this kind of eerie blue light, and the characters all kind of glowed, and it was really amazing. You know, that's something that, you know, if I don't know the properties of light, right, if I'm not a lighting designer, and I'm not working with a costume designer, then I'm not going to know that. I'm not going to make that connection, right, um, but it was students. It was, it was high schoolers, and it's probably one of the best productions I've ever seen in my life, um, and it just changed the way I thought about how theater should be done and that sort of thing. Um, so basically theater requires a lot of creatives, all right, okay. Um, now, not as many as a film might because a film has a lot of different aspects. But there's people that are standing behind those actors on the stage who are really super important, right. Um, and who you can learn to, one thing I would love for you to do is learn to appreciate the collaborative nature of theater and how many people it actually takes to make that one person um, uh, shine in that moment, right? Um, you know, we just got finished with Anastasia last night um, at North Raleigh, and it was, it was great. It's probably one of, the, probably one of the, the top five productions I've directed in my life, right? Um, and that's saying a lot because I've directed a lot. But... Um, I was just sitting there watching in the last moments and I was thinking about all the elements that it takes to make a moment happen in theater, right? And I was thinking about costume and lighting and sets and just all the different um, things that have to come together for that piece of theater to really work, right? And um, I always, people always ask me how it's going and that sort of thing and I always tell them, well, it's a lot of moving parts because it is. There's a lot of different aspects of the of that one moment, getting that one moment to happen, right, in the right way, um, takes a lot of effort, right? I think about um, Wicked, which I've seen several different times, right? Um, And if you've ever seen it, you know the last moment of the first act is pretty incredible, right? There's this incredible moment where um, the protagonist lifts up into the air, right, and these people kind of run out from underneath her, and it's just this wonderful moment and actually I think probably the climactic moment of the play, which is part of my problem with Wicked because it just doesn't, the second act just doesn't really go anywhere, but um, uh, just this climactic moment and to think about all the hands, all the eyes that have to work together, right, all the people pushing the buttons and um, all of them working together in tandem to make that one moment really happen and that's really um, wonderful and beautiful And I think just uh, one of the reasons I love theater so much is because you think about all those people that are making that one moment happen. It's really important, right? Um, O for a musifier, right? Um, You know, we've talked a lot about um, these kind of technical things, but when we talk about Shakespeare, actually, um, Shakespeare's theater was very different from our theater today, right? Um, They didn't have a lot of elaborate sets and costumes and things like that. Um, his his theater was very much about the theater of the word, um, right? So you were hearing things, and back in Shakespeare's day, you went to hear a play, whereas today we say, I'm going to see a play, right? And so there's a big difference between that, right? Going to hear a play is very different um, experience versus seeing a play, right? In our culture, we're a very visual culture, right? We like to see things, right? Shakespeare's culture was a little different. Um, they like to hear things, right? And um, the reason I bring up this muse of fire idea is um, there's this, this, this kind of sense of um, the muse that's kind of working with you, right? And there's a lot of different ways to kind of interpret that, right? For me, I interpret it as the Holy Spirit, right? Um, kind of living and working and breathing in all the different aspects of, this, of the show, right? Right? Um, But in ancient, uh, not ancient Rome, but like in Rome, the Roman times, right? um, uh, The artist was said to have a muse, right? And so this was actually really important, right? And not just because of inspiration, but also because of failure, right? So the idea, unlike today, where we kind of lift artists up on individual pedestals and kind of put them as the, you know, the uh, creator of everything that they do, Right? In the Roman times, this idea of the muse was that the, um, the creator, whether it be an actor or a writer or a musician or whatever it was, this creator had something called the muse, right? And the muse would kind of sit over your shoulder and kind of work with you, right? Um, and so here's the thing, right? The thing about that, you're like, what, what is he talking about? Right? The thing about that is if the artist was really successful, and the art was really successful, then the artist couldn't take full credit for that. They could not be like, oh, right? They could not be like, oh, I am a genius, right? Actually, they said, oh, it must have been my inspiration. It must have been the muse that was working beside me, right? And here's the other thing about that, right? If the fail, if the, the play or the, the piece of, of art was a complete failure, they couldn't take all the credit for that either, right? So therefore, there's this idea that um, there was someone that was working beside you, and it's really very different from the way that we view theater to our view art today, right? Um, this very individualistic kind of sense of like, I am creator, right? Um, and well, that's great, but then what happens if you only create one really good piece of art in your entire life, right? Does that mean you're a failure, right? And so, anyway, just an interesting way to look at that and to look at how. Um, you know this idea of genius and creative, and a lot of people always ask me. They're always they always talk about um, you know why are artists so depressed and like why do they turn to alcohol and and why are they um, why are they addicted to all these different substances and things like that? And I think a lot of that comes, not all of it, but a lot of it comes from the pressure of having to perform. Right? I have to write the next great book. Well, what if my next book is not as good as my first book? Right? Okay. Or what if my next play is not nearly as good as my next, as my previous one, right? Okay, and so um, there's a lot of pressure on that. and I think that does drive artists um, to seek things. Um, Comfort, right? I think about Eugene O'Neill, one of my favorite playwrights, um, and his lifelong struggle with alcoholism, right? And that had had many, many roots in his family and that sort of thing, but it also had a root in his creativity, right? And so I just bring that up as kind of an interesting way to look at um, the way we've talked a lot about the individual artist versus the collaborative artist, right? And that's why I love theater, because I can't do theater on my own. Like, I can't, right? I need people around me, and I'm very much a people person, and I love to have people around me and watch them kind of do their work. And that's really, that's something beautiful to me. And so just, I want you to kind of understand this collaborative nature of theater and why collaboration is so important to what theater is, right? Um, and it's, you know, it's not just, it's not just a buzzword for us, it's like literally the thing that we do, right? All right, let's talk a little quick, uh, quickly about the six elements of theater, right? And these actually apply to more than just theater, and you can use them in a lot of different ways, but these are the six elements of theater that were are um, Developed by Aristotle, in uh, in the Poetics, right? Um, Rush out and buy a copy of the Poetics. It's great reading. Um, Anyway, I think it is. You might not, but that's okay. Um, Anyway, he outlines six elements of theater. The first is character. All right, character being the persons of the of the story. Right. Um, When I was in grad school and as I was training as a director. the major question that we were always supposed to ask when it came to character was, whose story is it? Who is the character that we are following through this story, right? Okay, Um, and so that was always one of the major questions I was supposed to ask, is whose story is it, right? Um, Who, in other words, is my protagonist, right? Okay, and then opposite that, of course, is who's the antagonist, right? Now, I want to be careful with that because notice I didn't say hero and villain, right? That's a very different concept than what we're talking about here, right? Um, We're talking about protagonist being the person that we're kind of viewing the world through, the person who's kind of growing the most over the course of the play, right, or the story, and kind of watching that person, right? And sometimes it's not a nice person, right? Um, for example, Les Mis. We were talking about Les Mis right before we started, um, and it's at D I, th- I guess, this week. And I really wish I could go, but um, I'm going to be sleeping for the next couple of days. So, um, uh, but Jean Valjean is very much kind of in this vein of what we call the anti-hero, but what really is known as a protagonist, right? Um, and his antagonist, right? Is Javert, right? Who um, we can get into that. That's a lot of interesting. We don't need to go all there. But I bring that up as an example to say that protagonists and antagonists are very different from this idea of hero and villain, right? Um, and the simplistic nature of hero and villain. And not that there's not good stories out there that don't have great heroes, right? Of course there are. and That's really interesting, right? But as um, our society has kind of, you know, decentralized truth and that sort of thing we've kind of um, undone that idea of the hero, right? And there's good aspects of that and there's bad aspects of that, right? Um, But character is the first element that Aristotle kind of talks about, right? The second is language, all right? And language is obviously like the text of the play, right? What is the play, what are the characters literally saying, right, but it's more than just that. Um, it's also um, the rhythm of the play, right? Okay, um, for example, um, David Mamet is a very famous playwright. Um, kind of controversial, but um, his plays are very, they're well known for his very like rapid dialogue, right? The characters are kind of spitting it out really quickly, right? Versus like a Tennessee Williams who is very, um, his language is very spread out, right? It's very legato, Um, and that sort of thing. So different playwrights can have different sense of language in them, right? Idea, okay? This was really important to Aristotle. Um, An idea is basically what we today call theme. What is the play about? That was the other question I was always supposed to ask as a director, is whose story is it and what is the play about, right? And this is where my job as an interpreter comes in, because I'm not really, as a director, I'm not really creating something original, I'm really just interpreting somebody else's work, right? Because what do I, where do I start as the director? I start with the script, right? And I get inside that script and I learn that script backwards and forwards and front and back and I learn how that script works and what this, this playwright is trying to say, right? And so um, that's the idea of idea or theme you know, what is the play about? And usually we go about it by finding first a theme subject, right? Um, and that's like uh, loyalty, honesty, um, any of those big ideas that, I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Family, love, right? Um, all these big ideas. And then we usually take that and break that down into a theme statement and say, what does this particular show say about that subject, right? Okay? Okay. Um, if you wanna say that Romeo and Juliet's about love, I think it's about a lot more than that. But if you wanna say it's about love, what does Romeo and Juliet say about love? Right? This is a little side um, track that I wanna go on for just a second. But um, there are scholars out there that actually think Romeo and Juliet is a comedy and not a tragedy. Um, and they think um, their basis for this is this idea that you, know, you have these young, impressionable people who are making these rash decisions kind of based on their feelings and that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, some scholars kind of look at Romeo and Juliet as a comedy. And um, I don't know that that's entirely um, supported by the play, but um, it's an interesting thought to have about it, right? And so theme or idea is like, what is this play about and how can I understand what the playwright is talking about in their play, right? And good plays often have more than one idea or theme, right? Okay, for example, Hamlet. Hamlet's about a lot of things, all right? And there's been a lot of interpretations of Hamlet. I've seen Hamlet on the moon in space outfits. It's weird, all right? But you know, hey, that's somebody's trying it, right? Um, as I like to say to the kids at school, strong but wrong, right, okay? We can make a strong choice, but sometimes it's the wrong choice, right? And so we have to be careful about how we interpret scripts and that sort of thing. And it, That's something that I take very seriously as, an act, as a director because my job is to present this play that this playwright has put together, right? And my job is not for, to necessarily tell what the play is about, but it's to discover what the play is about, right? And then to present that idea to the audience, right? Um, and that's where my role as interpreter comes in, right? But some directors can take that way to in a different direction, and some of them can like reinterpret the work, right? Um, which has become very popular um, in our theater today to reinterpret the classics, right? And I, I guess there's something to be said for that, right? But um, at what cost? Are we are we trying to make the play say something that it wasn't supposed to say, right? Um, for example, there is a um, one of my favorite plays, The Glass Menagerie, and um, in the end, this, there's a famous production where um, at the end, Tom is giving his last monologue, right? Um, and he's kind of asking for forgiveness from his, from his mom and his sister. And he's, he's in the future and they're kind of stuck in the past, right? And, but for some reason, the director thought it would be really cool if um, Laura, as Tom is giving this last speech, Laura, his sister, um, came over and slaps him across the face, right? Okay, interesting interpretation, but is that really what Tennessee Williams is getting at? I don't think so, right? Um, And so I think the role of the director can be very careful, we have to be very careful as the director to make sure your job is not to create something, your job is to interpret something, right? That's a little theory about directing. I just thought you might enjoy that. Um, music. Um, yes, sir? That's a super quick yeah? As the director, when the person who created the work is already dead and gone, how do you take an objective stance of correct interpretation versus incorrect interpretation mm-hmm. when there's so many variants out there and it is objective? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so there's a couple of things that you do, right? Um, first of all, you have to research the playwright and you have to really know the, the life of the playwright. That's the way that I get into um, a play in particular is I look at the life of the playwright and how how is the life of the playwright um, mirrored in their work, right? And sometimes there's a really direct connection like with Eugene O'Neill, right? Um, he was dealing a lot with, um, uh, with, with faith and religion because it was a big part of his upbringing and so his plays kind of, deal with those ideas and look at those ideas, and sometimes the bad consequences of those ideas. Um, for me, it's, be, it's about being faithful to the script, right? Um, and trying to be faithful to that. And I think you can look at other productions, you can do research on the play itself. There's a lot of different ways to kind of, um, to do that. Um, you know, in today's world, it's a little hard to say, oh, well, this is the definitive idea about what a play is, right? Because truth is relative, right? And so there's this idea that can we ever find the actual meaning of the play? I think we can if we if we look hard enough, if we know that script inside and out. Um, But again, it is subjective, right? And one director's interpretation of it could be wildly different from another director's interpretation of it, right? Especially with the great plays like Hamlet. I mean, there's a thousand ways to interpret that play, right? Um, But I, for me, it's always grounded in the script. That's what the playwright has given me, so I need to look at that script and I really need to um, know that script inside and out, right? And so that's how I was trained to kind of look at a story, and and understand that, right? But you're right. There's a lot of different. There's a lot of different interpretations. And like I said, like I said a few minutes ago, strong but wrong, right? Like I feel like you can make a really strong choice, but. It's not necessarily the right choice, right? And that gets complicated because then you get into right and wrong interpretations and, you know, this is my artistic vision and all that sort of thing, which I think is kind of a little silly, or it can be a little silly at times, right? It can be taken to an extreme that makes it a little silly. Plot. We talked about plot. um, Was it last week? Oh, my goodness. Um, When we talked about story and the idea of story, right, um, And plot is what happens in the story, right? And then we get down to my little friend called spectacle. All right? Um, Spectacle is the visual elements of the theater. It's what you're seeing. It's the costumes, the lighting, the sets, right? And a lot of times people will invest a lot of time in spectacle. And that's great, all right? But spectacle is not necessarily the most important thing to me as an artist, right? It's cool, it's great. I love that we have these ways to tell stories, but for me, if you're missing character, idea, and plot, you can have as much spectacle as you want. It's not gonna make a difference, right? Okay? Um, You know, you can spend a ton of money, right, on a show trying to make it the most spectacular show you've ever seen, right? Um, I don't know if you ever, you might have heard of this, but probably 10 years ago, there was a Broadway musical called Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, all right? And um, they tried to take Spider-Man and put it on the stage, right? Um, It was a horrible failure. They went through three directors, right? Um, And um, it started out with Julie Taymor, who's the uh, creative mind behind um, uh, The Lion King on Broadway. And so people were like, oh, this is pumped. I'm pumped about this. This is great. But then she wanted to take it in this kind of different direction. And so... The producers were like, "No, that's not what we want. We want like the comic book on stage, right? We want like the you know." And so it sounds really cool, um, but it was a disaster. Um, and uh, you know, this idea that you can only depend upon spectacle is really difficult. I tell my kids at school, like, I I'm cool with a chair and an actor dressed in all black. Like that works for me, right? If the story is compelling enough, then the spectacle doesn't need to be there. Now says the guy that just spent a lot of money on a big, you know, spring musical, right? It's important, Spectacle is important, but I think we can overemphasize spectacle a lot. And I think that's my personal kind of taste um, showing there, right? So you have these six elements. You can take these six elements, you can look at a script and kind of move them around and kind of take them apart and kind of look at them, right? And in some scripts, plot is really important, right? In some scripts... Character's really important. Um, Sometimes music, if it's a musical in particular, can be very important, obviously, right? Okay, so these six elements um, are the way that we kind of look at a piece of theater and take it apart. Um, I wanna make some quick connections between theater and religion, all right? Theater, um, at least in the Western tradition, started um, in ancient Greece, right? And it was born out of worship of the Greek gods, right? Um, and I don't say that to promote the worship of Greek gods, obviously, but I do say that to kind of look at this fact that theater and um, faith have had a very uh, strong connection from the very beginning of um, of the oh oh I pushed the wrong button the ancient Greeks, right? Um, they kind of developed this idea of theater, and it was born out of this kind of, um, this idea about um, community worship and community gathering, right? Um, in fact, the ancient Greeks had a, uh, well, more of the classical Greeks, I guess, had a, a playwriting festival, and it was a week-long festival, right? And they just did show after show after show, performance after performance after performance, right? And it was a week-long, right? Everybody took off of work, right? Some scholars even think that they let prisoners out of prison to go to see the show because that's how important that idea of community really was, right? That we go together as a community, we watch this story unfold on stage and then we are changed because of that and we are able as a group to understand what's important to us as a people, right? So can you imagine a week of theater? That would be so awesome that'd be great. Rather than, you know, all this basketball nonsense, what if we had a tournament of theater? That would be awesome. Like you had to go to certain shows, you had to like watch them, you had to be like, yes, okay, this was really great, this is really great, right? We could even do a bracket for people that want to do that, right? It would be awesome. I think it would be fantastic. Um, so join me in my crusade to make that happen. Um, and then the medieval church, right? Um, they were heavily producers, and you guys know this from art and um, music standpoint, that the church was very invested in creating art and music and that sort of thing. But you may not know that they were also highly invested in theater. right? And why do you think they were so invested in theater? Well, I'll tell you. All right, um, Because many people could not read the Bible for themselves. Right? Okay? And so w- the church had to figure out a way, how do we portray um, the Bible for these people who can't read? And one way that they did it was through theater. Right? And what they would do is outside the church, you know, in the town square there, or, um, they would bring up a very elaborate set of wagons, and they would basically go from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the of the Bible, and they would kind of do something called a cycle play, where they would cycle through um, the plays, right? And then we kind of um, go from um, the story of Adam and Eve and kind of move all the way through the Bible, and some of these could be very elaborate and very, like, beautiful um, things, and the community was really invested in that, right? And I come back to the idea of community again and again because theater really... Um, is community-based, right, okay? We talked last week, I think, about this idea that, you know, I can take, I can take this little device that I have here, right, and I can, um, I can uh, go off by myself and just watch something, right? And that's, that's cool, that's interesting, right? But theater in particular has a very communal aspect to it because you have to be together in that room with those people to understand it. Have you ever tried to watch a video of a play? Like not one that's done well, right? But obviously like someone who set up the camera at the back and just like, you know, it's terrible. Like you're like, what is this? This is really bad. Um, Because you're missing that communal aspect. You're missing that idea of all of us sitting in the same room listening to the same story, right? Um, And there's that aspect of community, which I think is something that makes theater really beautiful and wonderful. Right, and also why I think coming back to my starting point, the idea that theater is not dying, right, um, but actually, it could become incredibly important as we move um into the future, right um, and that idea of being there together right is very important to me right um, so that's kind of um that's kind of my thoughts a little bit about this morning, and I'd love to open it up for some questions and ideas that you guys have um, about, it can be about story or theater in particular. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my, yes, sir. Yes. that is something that's very difficult to find, especially if you have to it down to one. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and I th- yeah I think you're right, and I think sometimes that can um, that can be a matter of interpretation for the director. And so, um, for example, like you said, The Hobbit is very specific. Like here's The Hobbit. This is his journey. Right. We're watching that. Um, but with contemporary stories, especially, it can be really difficult because sometimes there you can pass, the author can pass it off between a bunch of different people, right? And we kind of see things from different people's perspective, right? Um, As a director on stage, I think, um, yeah, it's hard sometimes to narrow it down to one, but I think if you can narrow it down to one, it really helps uh, focus your interpretation, right? And that's where this whole idea of the director's interpretation kind of comes in, right? Um, For example, you know, Hamlet, coming back to that, pretty simple, right? It's Hamlet's story, but different directors have tried to emphasize different characters, like Ophelia gets emphasized a lot, um, and trying to see the story from her perspective. Well, that's interesting, but it's going to limit your interpretation, it's going to limit your production in some ways, which, okay, it might be interesting exercise to do that, right? But yeah, you're right, Um, and that comes down to, like, kind of understanding and learning to deal with the story and the script, and kind of, making that decision but ultimately sometimes you do have to make that decision as a director for sure. Yeah. Yes, ma'am? I think most of us listening to look at theater and think the same about theater that you see about Yeah. know, you got the God as the main character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that's beautiful. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think um, that's probably why one of the reasons I love theater so much. And not that other art forms aren't collaborative, because they are, but there's just something different about being present for that moment happening, right? Um, and there's a lot that we can say about that. But yeah, you're right. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, right, Right, and that is something, Shakespeare is a great example of that because um, Shakespeare's works obviously now are into public domain, so people can take them and do whatever they want with them. You're right, and sometimes they do interject interject current ideas and thoughts, and sometimes that works, Um, but sometimes it can be a complete disaster. And um, so I think, again, if you find yourself wanting to tell a particular story and you're looking at a script and you're trying to fit that script into your particular story, right, I think a lot of times some directors really ought to be playwrights because they're trying to create the story rather than interpret the story, right? And that doesn't mean that you can't um, interpret Shakespeare in a lot of different ways, right? For example, I've done Shakespeare, and I set it in the 1940s. We used music from that time period. It, kinda, it works really well. Um, we did Much Ado About Nothing that way because Much Ado happens after a big war has just ended. And so there's some, there are some kind of parallels between that um, and the interpretation of that. But yeah, it can get really tricky if you're trying to make a script say something that it's not meant to say. And there are some people that would completely disagree with me about that, and they would say, well, it's the director's job to infuse the script with what it's supposed to mean. I disagree. Um, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's the right way to approach it. I think you have to respect the work of the playwright because the playwright, most of the time, 90% of the time, is not in the room, right? They don't have a voice in the room, and so your job as the director is to be the voice for that playwright and to defend what they have tried to create, Right? Very, very few times does do playwrights and directors actually get to be in the same room together, right? So that's just my take. Uh, there's other schools of thought that would disagree with me about that, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with my faith and how I interpret scripture. Um, I think that probably has a huge impact on on that, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um he asked what role does the modern church have with theater. This is a difficult question for me. Um I don't exactly know right off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I know that's not very I know that's not very helpful. Um I think the drama of Scripture is really important um, to us as modern as modern people because we're, you know, and as we talked about last week, there's a lot of drive to story, right? And we are very story-induced um, people. And so I think the drama of Scripture can be really important to that. Now, how you do that, right, like, you know, I... Like should the church be producing theater I don't know, maybe um, but then again we got we get into this idea of what we talked about last week a little bit of the whole or the week before the whole idea of Christianity and you know using Christianity as kind of an excuse to do poor art right and so i don't I don't know that I would want the church to produce theater in the same way it did in the medieval times I don't know um that's a really good question. I'll have to think more about that for sure. Yes? I have an opinion. Okay. <laughs> uh, the church as an organism should not okay. uh, be doing uh, uh, art of many kinds. Believers who are called and equipped to that vocation, uh I think, really ought to be doing it. Okay. I think there's a big distinction. I think the church often got into areas that it's not called. Hmm. Sure. I love that. That's great. Awesome. Thank you, Dan, for saving me there. I appreciate it. The only thing have. <laughs> 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 awesome. I think you're right. I think that's a great way to look at it, right? And I think a lot of times um, just the way that we um, like the church fosters people who are business people and, and that that's sort of, like whatever your vocation happens to be. If your vocation happens to be as an artist like mine is, then there should be ways that I think you're right like the church equips me to be the best that I can be at what I do. Yeah, that's great. i along with uh, I think, you know, Hollywood kind of has but I think as a believer you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to work in Hollywood. Sure. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, I think so too, I think you're right. I think there's, um, yeah, I hope so, because that's what I do, so <laughs> I hope that's the case, <laughs> yeah. And, and can we not um, take, I remember as a kid, Vacation Bible School, Mhm. Mm. of the Bible stories once to me as a child. Sure. And in teaching Sunday school, to, I remember once or twice having my children act out what we were studying. Mm. On. It's because God's created us body, soul, and spirit, you know, it's a holistic kind of a... Sure. Sure. I'm hearing things out of that book that's called um, The Body Keeps the Score. Okay. It's a pioneering work on post traumatic stress from a guy from Netherlands, and he, he was working with Vietnam vets. And I think one of his solutions, or one of the things that helps, is acting out of their stories. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I I think there's a difference between um, like the church like being the producer of a work, right? Like I think that's something we need to be, yeah, really careful about. Um, And um, versus, um, you know, like Dan said, equipping the people who are called to do that with their vocation, yeah. All right. Okay, we better go. We better wrap up. Um, Thank you guys so much. Ross will be back up next week um to talk about um i think film is his next one so thank you for letting me talk about theater it's not very often that i get to talk about theater um to an audience um i mean i am a teacher i do you know but there's a lot of things you got to do so thank you for being a really listening and uh thought-provoking group so thank you guys so much have a great day